know, Journey Church, we're a, we're a group of church. We want people to be involved and invested in groups. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to share some of, these, uh, some of these stories with you, and, and hopefully you'll find a place uh, to, to plug in. I started a series last week called Life's Too Short, and really this, uh, this entire series, uh, it's not a very long series, but it really is about uh, that, that life passes so quickly. I don't know, as I get older, it seems like life is going faster and faster and faster. And last week we talked a little bit about this and why uh, God kind of limited the amount of years that we get to spend here uh, because we seem to have a challenge with commitment. We seem to have a challenge when life is too long, things don't seem to go so well. And last week we talked about our jobs and how we could really um, just kind of kind of be a little bit more invested and involved in the careers that we have and do that as an expression of faith. But today I want us to talk about marriage. Now, uh, we're going to talk about parenting and leadership next week. And some of you are like, oh, we should have skipped this Sunday. Well, you're here now, so uh, it's too late to, to walk out. Uh, so you have, to, you have to listen to what it is. Now, last week when we were talking about jobs, I started by saying, okay, how many of you love your jobs? And how many of your jobs are okay? How many of you really don't like your jobs much? I decided not to do that with the marriage question um, because there should not be bloodshed in the house of the Lord. Um, and believe me, there probably would be. What do you mean you're putting your hand up for that? Okay, no, no, let's not do that. But I do want to ask a question that we all are going to answer maybe internally, and hopefully by the end uh, we will get there as well. How happy are you in your marriage? Are you happy with, with everything in your marriage? Are there some things you really wish were a little different? Um, how are you navigating those things? Meredith Bryan, stop fighting in church, okay? <laughs> do you need to come forward like right now in just a time of prayer and confession? No, just kidding. Um, but, but we need to ask this question about, hey, how happy are we in our marriages? How are our marriages going? One of the things that I do believe very clearly is that life's too short not to make your marriage awesome. We should be in awesome marriages, especially if we are people who are believers, especially if we are people who are going to try and live towards what this gift that God has given to us. And, and I, I've met people before. I've done a lot of counseling in, you know, 23, 24 years where, where people are just miserable or resentful, and they've been that way for years. And I don't quite understand why would you, why do you do that when you, when you, when it could be something, you know, so different. So what I want to do today is I want to ask a question, then I'm going to give you some rules, we're going to have a little bit of fun, we're going to watch a little video, uh, it's going to be, going to be great. But maybe it starts with this question, do we really want honesty? You see, a lot of people say, I want honesty, but a lot of times we don't actually mean it. We want people, tell me the truth about this, but if the truth is not what I really want to hear, then, then I really, really struggle. So I'm going to answer this kind of in two parts, and that's this. Uh, honesty is the cost of a healthy marriage. If you want to have a healthy marriage, it requires honesty. Now let me tell you a couple stories about this journey for, uh, for me and Haley. So Haley and I are committed to being honest with each other. And we're committed to not having secrets in our marriage. Yes, that doesn't mean I tell her everything and she tells me everything. But we don't live with big secrets or big obstructions in our marriage. We are honest with each other. And sometimes that honesty is difficult. Honesty is easy when you agree with each other. But when it's difficult, that's, that's when it really tests who you are. So about a little over 10 years ago, we lived in Amarillo for the first time. 
we had a, had a little house um, that we did what everybody does with their houses, right? You move into it, you paint the walls, you, you hang stuff, you, move, you make it your own, right? And a lot, of you, a lot of you do this. If you don't know how healthy your marriage is, just go and we model a bathroom together and you'll know exactly where you're at, okay? Uh, but we painted we, and we loved our living room, it was really great. And then I had an opportunity to move to Lubbock and so we moved to Lubbock for a few years. And we agreed, we were like, hey, the color of our living room in Amarillo, we want to paint whatever house we move into, we want to paint it that color. And so we, so we did. Uh, and one fr- Friday is my day off because that's, you know, we work on Sundays. And then Friday was my day off. So Haley, we didn't have kids. Haley left for work. And I had already gone and bought all the painting supplies and done everything. And it took me nine hours to paint our living. It was a huge, like, living room dining room, entryway. It was this really, really big room, okay? Did I mention it took me all day? Okay, so I want to stress the all-dayness of this, okay? I painted, and as I'm painting it, I'm like, okay, you know, maybe it doesn't quite look the same as I, as I thought it did or whatever else. So this is Haley, though. She comes home from work, and she walks in, and she goes, I don't like this. All day. Okay, all day. And it didn't look, our house faced a different direction. It was bigger. The light was different. It looked more peach than the actual sand color that we were going for. And she and I had a conversation about it because I did want her to like it. I wasn't crazy about it. I was like, okay, it'll do. It's okay. But she clearly hated it. Now, if you've met my wife, you know she does not have a poker face at all. Like she cannot lie, and you know that she is not lying. We had some conversations about it, and I kind of said, you know, it would have been great if you just said, oh, I just, I, l- I love you, and I appreciate you doing this, and maybe just wait two or three days. I'm not going to repaint it right now, you know, two or three days, and go, hey, I'm not, I don't love this color. It doesn't look quite the same. So the answer, 1B, is diplomacy helps, okay? If you've got to say hard things, say them diplomatically. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated our uh, 15th anniversary, and I bought Haley a nice gift, okay? Like a really nice gift, okay? Very expensive, nice gift. I cannot stress how nice this gift was. But I, but I got this gift, I ordered it, and it just didn't, it didn't kind of look exactly the way that I wanted it to. And I gave it to her, and again, she's not a good poker face. I could tell she didn't just love it. And I wanted her to love it. I generally give pretty good gifts, but nobody bats a thousand. And I was like, hey, this just really, it, it's not quite there. And it hurt her feelings because she thought she was hurting my feelings. And she said, I just don't love it. And I'm like, that's okay. And we kind of had our moment. And then our girls were like, mommy still loves you. I promise she just doesn't like the gift. And, I, and it was a great opportunity because I said, listen, guys. I said, mommy and daddy love each other. And mommy and daddy are committed to being honest. And sometimes honesty isn't fun. But I would rather mommy be honest with daddy about something because we can, we can change that than live with something that she really doesn't love. We've got to value honesty. We must learn to speak the truth in love with each other. When Paul writes these words to the Ephesian church, he's talking about a bunch of things, but it applies equally to marriage. He talks about what we shouldn't do, and then in verse 15 of chapter 4, the book of Ephesians, he said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. One of the things that you learn from this is only mature people really get this. How do you speak the truth in love? If you notice this, and it doesn't really come through when you read it in English, but when you read it in ancient texts, 
speaking the truth in love is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not saying, hey, if it's easy or, or if, they, if they won't get mad if you speak the truth in love. It's saying you have an obligation to speak truth, and that is governed by love. You've got to find the combination of these two things. The way that I talk about that when I share with couples is that there's honor and honesty. You've got to be honest with people, but you've got to do it in an honoring way. Now, you can go and tell the people, I'm just being honest with you, and really dishonor them. Or you can dishonor them and never tell them anything true, and that's not good either. But honesty without honor violates marriage. When we go in hot and just say, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to tell you where it's at, that's fine. You're allowed to be honest, and that's a person you're allowed to be honest with. But you have to also do that in an honoring way. It's speaking the truth in love. And honesty is the cornerstone of a healthy marriage. If you don't have honesty, what do you really have? You just have an illusion. You have a story that you've constructed. Honesty is also the key to healthy communication. If you guys start by saying, we're going to commit to tell each other the truth, to be there in every, you can communicate about just about anything. And I want to give us some rules today about how we can really live uh, more fully into our marriages. And hopefully you'll find a word of inspiration in this. Rule number one is this. Talk to your spouse. You've got to talk about everything. You've got to try to take time every single day to have conversations about the things that matter. You've got to talk in simple things. You've got to talk in difficult things. You've got to talk to each other. We live in a world that does not talk to each other, a world that talks about each other. You've got to talk to each other, not about each other. And sometimes, listen, we get in those ruts of complaining or disagreement or whatever it is, and so we go outside of our circles and we start talking about it to everybody instead of actually talking to the person that's involved. Now, you can be frustrated, you can go to work, you can do that, but part of that conversation should be, I need to have an honest conversation with my spouse how do I best do that? Not just, I'm going to talk to you, and then I don't have to talk to them. It's part of the problem that we have in our world. This is why Jesus addresses it even in conflict. Now, I know we traditionally think about this as being a conflict situation, but the words that are used are actually useful for marriage as well. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, Jesus is telling his disciples, if a brother or a sister, and that can also mean if a husband or a wife sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. Now, some of you are like, point out their fault. Yeah, I can do that. Again, governed by speaking the truth in love. It doesn't mean you can never tell them, hey, you were really wrong about this or that really hurt my feelings. But you've got to do that in a good way. And it's saying, when you take your circles, I, I cannot remember a fight that Haley and I have have had that she and I didn't go to each other and it wasn't resolved right between us. Maybe once or twice we've got some counsel to say, hey, how do we fix this? Because we, we are really on opposite ends of this. How do, we, how do we address this? Or tell us what we need to be seeing or what we need to be doing. And the Bible, Matthew 18, goes on to talk about that, how you do that properly and appropriately. But conversations need to be between you two. You need to keep that circle really tight. And if you live in an environment of honesty, you can speak truth to each other. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. But it matters. Number two is this. Date your spouse. Guys, we're bad at this. We put a lot of effort in when we're dating. 
We buy flowers and chocolates and jewelry. Not that you have to do that all the time. We wash the car. We shower almost daily when we're, you know, dating. Listen, I, I know you think you're a stud, but when you are not wearing a shirt eating Cheetos on the couch, there are moments you've got to date yourself. What that means is this. You've got to pursue yourself. It's not going to look the same as when you were dating because everybody's on their best behavior. But you've got to change with that as it happens. Yes, she'll love flowers and jewelry and other things every now and then. But I'll tell you what she'd really like is for you to put a shirt on and go do the dishes. She'll be like, that is sexy right there. That is a pursuit of your spouse. It's saying, I love you. I care for you. I see value in you. I will spend my money on you because you are valuable. But let me tell you another truth. Someone will pursue your spouse. Hopefully it's you. But we live in a world where someone is always there to take up what you're lacking. If you don't believe me, just just think about how many telemarketing calls you get every day. Someone will pursue your spouse. And we have a need as people to be pursued by each other. And if you drop the ball, I promise you, somebody else will pick it up. It might be a little flirty at work. It might be a friend or part of a friend group. Somebody will pursue your spouse. And if their cup of pursuit is filled, they will be resistant to it. If it's empty, they may fall for it. Because our world tells us that somebody always wants a piece of your time. And it should be you. You have to decide in a marriage if you're going to be partners or roomies. Haley and I have this little joke. I'm going to share it with you. It's probably more than you want to know. But the reality is this, every night we get in bed, we watch a little TV, and we always kiss each other goodnight and say, hey, goodnight. If it's been one of those weeks, and if you have kids, you know this, that you're running around to 50 different directions, right? You barely got home. You had a terror. It was a dumpster fire at work. You barely got food, food done. You haven't said two words to each other without yelling at your kids or being interrupted. And that goes on for a few days. When Haley and I kiss each other goodnight, she or I will say, goodnight, Rumi. And we say that not to be mean to the other person, but it's kind of become our little tell that says we have not had a good amount of time together. We have been losing our lives for something else, whether it be work or kids or something different. It's kind of a joke, but it sparks something very non-aggressively that says, hey, we need to be a bit more intentional about spending some time together. And some of you might be comfortable with that. Yeah, you know, I could care less if they do their own thing and I'm going to do my own thing. If you want to be married and you want partnership, it's going to take effort. It's going to take pursuit. You're going to have to put in the time. But I promise you it's worth it. Rule number three, you need to laugh together a lot. You need to try and laugh together. And what that simply means is this. I've never met couples that laugh every day that their marriages are on the rocks. Because laughter is kind of the first thing that goes, isn't it? We're annoyed by everything that person does. We don't laugh with each other or even at each other sometimes. It means that we seek joy in our lives, that we need to be people who learn how to seek joy in our lives. When the Bible talks about joy, I want to tell you something. It almost always prefaces it with something negative, something difficult. Because it never says, your life is going awesome, so look for joy. It always says something like, when life is tough, you've got to try to find those moments of joy. This is why Psalm 94, verse 19, a verse that was very, very uh, um, pertinent to me and Haley this week. 
that said, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Talking it out and seeing the good in something. That's what your spouse is meant to do. That's how you're supposed to function together. Or even James, in James 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, or husbands and wives, when you face trials. Because the, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What that means is when you go through difficult things together and you find the joy and the goodness in it, it brings you closer together. And unfortunately, only bad things seem to bring us together and bind us together and help us to change our perspective on things. Rule number four, worry about you. We have far too much blame going on. Well, if you did better, I would do better. If you would just do this, then I would do it. If you showed up, if you paid more attention to me, if all these kinds of things. I've got to tell you, listen, the calling is not for your spouse. There's not one passage of Scripture that says, now wait until your spouse does this and then you do it. Not one. They all say you worry about you first. Worry about what happens in your life, what you're bringing to the table. This is why in marriage we talk about for better cycles and for worse cycles. In quick terms, for better cycles are I'm going to bless you, I'm going to try to see you better than me, and in turn you're going to do that for me. The for worse cycle is I'm going to punish you, you're going to punish me, I'm going to punish you worse. And people get locked in these cycles. And when there comes a point where you're just spiraling so far down, you feel like, you know, where am I going to go? You stop and you start trying to have a for better cycle. This is why when, when Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he writes a beautiful passage in Ephesians 5 about marriage. And he starts it off by saying this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What he's saying is the way you live into your marriage is an expression of your faith. It's an expression of what you believe about God. It allows Jesus to be Lord. If Jesus is first in your life, it will, it will bleed through every single thing that you participate in. Now, sometimes we don't like this passage because it says words that we don't really want it to say. One of the things that I've learned is this. Women are better at marriage than men. Not saying we're awful, but we need a lot of training and a lot of coaching to be good at marriage. It takes us a minute. You, you, you ladies, you've got it figured out before it even starts. But I noticed something very powerful about this passage this week. It says, wives, submit to your husband as you do to the Lord. What this means is simply this. Paul is not telling you women that you need to be downtrodden or at the bottom. What he's really saying is this. You're better at this than your husbands are. And instead of walking around telling them how much better you are at marriage, I'll tell you what you do. You keep that to yourself. You build a foundation under your husband. And you allow him to be a champion. You allow him to win at certain things. What Paul is actually saying here is you get it better than he gets it. And instead of telling him that he doesn't get it, why don't you, why don't you really put some support under him and allow him to rise, allow him to have the victory, allow him to become the champion. That's what this text really means. And then he talks to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Why does he say that? Because we forget. The fish is in the boat. Yeah, no, stop. 
Love your wives. How do you love her? You love her sacrificially. The way that Christ loved the church. You get off the couch and you do the dishes because you see she's, she's had a busy day. Let me tell you, you start vacuuming, you're going to be the sexiest man alive to her. That's how it works. And Paul is reminding people, you've got to remember to love your wives. And yes, flowers are great and chocolate's good, but see her. Let her know that you see her. Carve out time to love her. And it will allow her to blossom, to shine, to feel protected, to feel filled, to feel peace. In short, be the best you. I say this in every marriage group that we talk about. People do not mean to get lazy in their marriages. They just do. It's human nature to do that. And some of us just have to be reminded or jolted, hey, i got to do a better job. It's not that I'm doing awful. It's not that our marriage is on the rocks. But we can always do a little better. And I'm going to bring my best self to the table. I'm going to stop criticizing and complaining or feeling. I'm just going to do the best that I can. And I'm going to be the best me in the midst of this. That's what our marriages need. Our marriages need people that are the best version of themselves. Now, uh, a couple of, uh, we haven't done this for a couple of years because last year was, was really kind of a tough year. Uh, but I want us to watch this, probably the best marriage video I've ever seen. Some of you have seen it before, um, but let's watch this video together. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. <clears throat> you do have a nail in your head. I have not had are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there, that's the Stop same thing. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. I mean, it's... Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. video because uh, I think it sums up the conversations we have it, it just sums up uh, how marriage can be challenging in in so many ways as well but here's the the fifth final rule is get help if you are in a bad spot sometimes you need somebody outside to help you get out of it sometimes you need to kind of place your hand place your your marriage in someone else's hands to say we're we're in a place that we don't quite know how we got there, and the two of us are the ones who got us there, and we can't seem to get ourselves 
out of this. If you're interested in coming to that marriage group, which I think starts uh, near the end of September, grab one of those connection cards in the, in the um, little trays in front of you. Just write your name on there, write marriage group on the top. We'll make sure you get signed up for that. It's on Sunday nights. We always provide childcare. Um, so hopefully you guys will come. It's just a great way. We have a lot of laughs. We have a lot of fun. Uh, but we really talk about the real issues of marriage. This is where James speaks to us again. James chapter 5, the last part of this. James is writing to the church and he says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Then you should pray. If you're happy, you should, you should sing songs of praise. And if you're sick, if you're, if you're in a bad spot, call the pastors of the church and let them pray over you and anoint you with oil. Because the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Sometimes we need to have the courage to say we need a little bit of help. And and he's not saying somehow that, hey, all your pastors have all their marriages figured out. He's just saying sometimes you've got to trust something that's bigger than you. And hopefully that's within the community of the church. And if you need to come to a marriage group, if you need need some counseling, let's have a conversation. Because our marriages are on the line here. But I want you to hear these words of redemption as well. It's not a sin to be stuck. I think sometimes we think, well, my marriage right now is not in a great spot. We're just a little stuck. That's okay. That's why we're having these conversations. Let us help you get unstuck. It doesn't mean that everything's bad in your marriage. It means, hey, we've got a place here or there that things aren't working out well that could be so much better than what they are. And we just need a little help to have something that's better. You know, as I was kind of reading this week, it's amazing to me, you know, sometimes people have mixed uh, feelings on counselors. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit in Scripture are both called counselors. It's in the prophetic calling of who Jesus is. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor. Or when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, right before he is going to the cross, he said, look, I'm going to leave, but someone is going to come after me called the Counselor. And that Counselor will guide you and lead you into all truth. Maybe today, if you're being honest, you have to look at your partner, look at your spouse and say, I feel like we're a little stuck. And I love you too much, and this is too precious a gift for us to stay stuck. Maybe you go home and you say, life's too short for us to be stuck. It's time. And I heard somebody say this a long time ago, and I think it's absolutely true. They said, how will our kids know what good marriages look like unless we show them? And if you live separate lives and you're roommates, or mom, you've You've given your life to your kids and turned away from your husband or dad. You've turned your life to your career away from your family. Your kids see that, and they know that. And they will learn that that's okay, and that's what they should do. And people wonder, my parents were married. They were never divorced. I didn't really see them fight ever. Your kids want to see your marriages succeed and be sacrificial. And sometimes difficult moments of honesty. That teaches them more than anything else they learn. The first place that Satan attacks us in ministry, it's not with church, it's not with hateful connection cards, it's not with people walking out. Guess where it is? Marriage. 
I can take your eyes off this and off him, and I'll use your home to destroy it. How many pastors do you know that left ministries, got divorced, lives are destroyed? Satan also wants your marriage. Because if your marriage works, the kids will love the Lord. The kids will have healthy marriages. And he doesn't want that. So maybe today you want it for you. Maybe today you want it for your family. It doesn't really matter. Have the best marriage that you can have. Don't worry about everybody else's. Worry about yours. Worry about you. And God will bring something beautiful in the midst of it. I hope that's a positive word for you today. So, Father, today we just thank you for inviting us into this space. Thank you that we can have a few laughs together, but also speak some truth, that we can just share the conviction that we want to have great marriages. And Father, I know there's people in this room right now that maybe don't like your spouses. Maybe they came in fighting this morning. God, give them the strength to fight through that. Give them soft hearts that instead of being stubborn, they can be sacrificial. God, we all need help. We all need to be reminded. God, there's some marriages in this room that need to be redeemed, that are on the brink. God, you can bring them back. You can bring them back when we have willing and open hearts. And God, some of the marriages in this room are doing really well right now. They're just doing awesome. And I just pray that you would continue to pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing in those marriages and into those families. God, thank you that you give us the ability <laughs> to walk with you in everything. We pray that today we would be convicted in heart that we would, that we would do better as we step into our homes and into our families, as we continue to worship, as we continue to declare your name to be great. God, would you take away, would you give us great freedom? Would you not allow us to be slaves of the enemy? We pray this all through Jesus.